When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to an Irish Times Books podcast in conversation with our literary correspondent, Eileen Battersby. In the Irish Times Weekend Review, Eileen writes about 12 of her non-fiction favourites for 2013. And here she's going to be offering us some insights on how and why some of them have had such appeal for her. Eileen, your selection of non-fiction books of the year is really wide-ranging. You've got everything in there from memoir to art and literature. But in a way, it would seem that one of your choices, the 1913, The Year Before the Storm by Florian Ilias draws on all of these. This is a book that I think that we should be telling everybody to buy for Christmas. It's, it's historically based, it's accurate, it's atmospheric, it's tremendous fun. And, it, and at the end, behind the jokes and the laughs and the idea of seeing all these famous writers and, and, and artists and visionaries, Freud, etc., they're all doing different things at this particular pivotal moment before everything changes. And that change, of course is the First World War, mm. right? The outbreak of the First World War. But, um, and he sent, the cities that he centers on are Berlin and Vienna, and we're seeing all the, the changes, the, the shifts, the moves, and it's almost like the revolution of the war, but the arts themselves are going through these tremendously radical shifts as well. We've had so much focus on 1913 in Ireland. What's the real value for us to, to be looking to Europe and to be looking to other countries? Well, I think in Ireland this year, like 1913, was the year of the lockout, and this this was this was happening in Ireland, and this tied in well, it's it's social revolution. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we had the social revolution here, but um, everywhere else, and that's not to say that it wasn't the artists of Ireland weren't aware of it as well. We had revolution going on in all aspects of the arts. In the middle, and in the midst of all this, we have a huge empire, the Austro-Hungarian Empire about to disappear. And with the disappearance of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, Vienna, which was the capital of this huge empire, suddenly becomes a very small provincial town. Right. And it's quite dramatic. And um, Florian Illis writes this book with huge panache. It is very, very witty, but it's also poignant, um, the idea of Kafka wandering around the place. I mean, these are characters we can we know about, we've read about them, we've read their work, and we've, we identify with them, the, the, diff, the different agonies. And through all, uh, out all of this, there's an ongoing refrain, a mantra. It becomes a mantra of the book, and that's no sign of the Mona Lisa. Where was the Mona Lisa? Because the Mona Lisa had actually been kidnapped by an artisan, an Italian artisan working in the Louvre. And he decided to walk off with the Mona Lisa because he didn't understand why it was in Paris, because it, by rights, should be in Italy. That in itself is this ongoing mini drama that's going on throughout the book. It is incredibly engaging. It's done a month by month. So, I mean, I would certainly say to the history buff or to the person who has got to be convinced about history, mm-hmm. this is a book. It's, 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 it's a, it is a wonderful book. I, I, I couldn't re- recommend it highly enough. And looking at, <laughs> looking at some of the books that you have on the list, art features very strongly. Three art 
books out of 12 is, is quite a lot. What, what drew you to these? Well, they're very different books. And I know that you're as much um, a fan of Turner as I am. Mm. So um, I, I know that the Turner probably caught your eye. Uh, it is a beautiful book. And it's, it's actually, ironically, it's tied in with an exhibition um, in the Royal Mar- Maritime Museum in London. But it's, it's a thematic book in the sense, it's not a bi- biographical work, it's a thematic book on Turner's relationship with the sea. So, as you know, in, in the next few weeks, people will be looking forward to seeing the Turner watercolours, which mm. are part of the winter rig- ritual in Ireland. They're, they will be on display for the entire month of January when mm. the, week, the light is at its weakest. This book geared towards his, his paintings of the sea, many of which have this almost, uh, you know, the, the historical dimension, the political dimension. He's, he's painted uh, great sea battles. So, I mean, we, but we've also, so we've got the human conflict of war reflected in the paintings, and we've also got the majestic anger of nature in the sea, the storm. The quality of the of the reproductions in the book is very, very good, it's, as one would expect of Thames and Hudson. It is a beautiful book. It's a very, very good text. It's uh, Christine Riding and Richard Johns. So I think it's a remarkable book. Probably, yeah, in fairness, of of the three to four art history things I have there, I suppose it is the one with the widest appeal, certainly in Ireland. And mm. um, there's another book that we have facing uh, facing the modern, the Portrait of Vienna, um, 1900. It's almost a companion book in a way to Florian Illus, which is an interesting actually pairing of the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, although um, Facing the Modern, um, predominantly written by Gemma Blackshaw, is um, to go with a, an exhibition, um, it stands in its own right as social history. Um, now, it's, it's rather serious. Um, it is thematic. Uh, there's a number of very good essays in it. Um, but I think, I think it's a very useful book. And I think it works very well, actually, with 1913. Almost a companion piece, a companion volume, I think, to one of the highlights of last year was my um, the biography of, of um, Dagshop's biography of Suzanne. I thought it was a wonderful book. Mm-hmm. And he's come back within a year with the uh, this uh, selection of the letters, the two, two, over 250 letters. And I think, yet again, it shows us that Suzanne was a wonderful artist, but he's very much his own man, a man, uh, an outsider, outspoken, opinionated, could, he really had mastered the art of letter writing. He could charm the birds out of the trees. Um, he could be a great friend in his letters. He could also write very barbed letters to his father looking for money. Uh, Suzanne was dependent on his father for money until he was well into middle age, and he was never acknowledged as an artist in his own right during his lifetime. Do you think that it's something that would appeal to art lovers alone, or has it got a broader appeal? Oh, I think I think the Suzanne letters, um, people who who love biographies, and that was a very very popular biography last year, the Suzanne biography, Dagshus, and I think yes, I would think that this is virtually a must for people with an interest in Suzanne, but also people who read biographies, and people you not necessarily art. Um, are kind of aficionados, if I can use that word, which I always mispronounce. But you know what I mean? The letters, these are very, very good letters, and they've been very well translated into uh, conversational French. And you also, you also focus on uh, Johann Sebastian Bach, Music in the Castle of Heaven. Yes. Well, now, there's a bit of a story to this book. <laughs> it bears me on this. Firstly, I am obsessed with Bach, as you know. Okay. <laughs> I think all now, your readers will. Everybody knows that. Alex Chester Bach. Okay. And I know we did that piece. I remember some years ago when Christoph Wolf 
were, was here conducting the Goethe Choir, I took the chance, to, well, I met, met him and also interviewed him about his definitive biography on Bach, uh, Johann Sebastian Bach, the learned musician. And it is the definitive book. There's no doubt about that. Now, we have John Elliott Gardner's much more personal uh, kind of idiosyncratic and perhaps egotistical mm-hmm. uh, celebration of Bach and his music in the Castle of Heaven. Now, it's a very, very personal book. Um, it's a maverick book. It's, uh, there's nothing conventional about it. And it's also focusing almost exclusively on the sacred music. But having said that, John Elliott Gardner, who is a larger-than-life individual, I think he's six foot six, um, he, is, uh, he grew up under a painting, famous painting. It's actually a very good story about the book, is that the painting of Bach, it was actually smuggled out of Europe, and it stayed um, in his parents' home in Devon. <laughs> That's where the painting hung. Right. So, uh, yeah, John so it's a very Gardner personal connection. Grew up, he literally grew up with this, looking at the cantor, the cantor kind of peering at him in this rather stern way. He grew up under that. And, I mean, he grew up in a very musical household. But uh, the book is very, um, it's willful. It moves all over the place. And it must have been quite a, a task for any editor to con- control or corral uh, John Elliott Gardner's learning, but more importantly, his um, lifelong passion, uh, his awareness, and as a musician, as a conductor. So, I mean, not only is, you know, like, were he a singer or were he a virtuoso pianist or a violinist, that's one thing. But he's actually a conductor. So he has, brings this incredibly cohesive overview to everything. And that's what the book is. Mm. But I wouldn't offer it to somebody as a definitive biography. No, it's not. But if you put these two books together, mm. you have a remarkable insight to the music but also the man, and bearing in fact that unlike Suzanne, Bach didn't write many letters. So, I mean, it's a very different kind of book in some ways. I'm not saying it's the best written book. No, 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 it's not. It's not. It's a very e- e- egotistical book, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but I mean, it's very much a personal celebration of a passion. Thanks. But if you're interested in Bach, you'll absolutely love it. But at the same time, no, I'm not offering you a brilliantly well-written book. Mm. Whereas a book that has probably been overlooked, and I think is very, very interesting, is um, uh, Saul Bellow's Heart by his eldest son, Greg mm-hmm. Bellow, who's a psychiatrist, incidentally, and who grew up under the shadow of an incredibly egotistical, arrogant father who literally moved from family to family, creating families here and there. So, I mean, he was not kind of a very close, in, uh, intense, intimate father, but he a massive influence on Greg Bellow's life. I think it's a very good book. Is there any bitterness there, do you think, from the son in writing this? Oh, I think there's, I, I think the anger is there. But it's, oh yeah, the anger is there. And he makes no, he, he doesn't conceal it. But I think it's actually, he doesn't profess to be a writer. Um, it's not a writerly book. Um, it, it's, it, there's no, um, there's a sense of justice in the book. I think he's been fair to everybody, including himself. Um, I'm very interested in Saul Bellow. I met Saul Bellow, interviewed him. He's one of my um, all-time heroes. I know he was no saint. Um, the uh, Athos biography certainly confirmed that. And, and Bellow, in fairness to him, continued to speak to his biographer after the book was published. And the book certainly did not present Saul Bellow as a hero. 
but it's it's I think it's a good book. Another book I, I would really like um, people to, to think of, and, and, and many people might have to think twice about it, because I certainly did. Um, I didn't expect Julian Barnes, who's such a cool, intellectual, cerebral sort of novelist, to write a book about grief that was anything as moving and as powerful as his book, Levels of Life. That's an incredible book. Irish Times readers had great response to that book um, when I reviewed it. Yes, it's, in, a, it's a wonderful book. In your review, you, you suggested that it would divide readers. What readers do you think particularly will it appeal to? Well, I think it sounds terrible, but it's almost like the, grief is a fairly is a, is a, is is a selfish response. I mean, we all think our grief is bigger than anybody else's. But um, Julian Barnes, cool intellectual as he is, cold to some extent. I've never been a tremendous fan of his fiction, except for his. I think his great book was Slow Bear's Parrot. I love that book. Uh, but then again, it's intellectual trickery. And he's a very um, intellectual type writer, and he's also very, very interested in France. But the book, uh, he brings intellectual um, matter before he actually uh, addresses um, what's, at, what's at the heart of the book. And the heart of the book is the sudden death of his wife of 30 years. Mm-hmm. And um, he had barely 30 days to kind of come to terms with the fact that she was going to die of a, of a, brain, of a brain tumor. And he, um, but he uses a novelist's device. He plays history and fact and whimsy off each other. Um, the idea of exploration, the use of air balloons, and he has characters involved, uh, real life characters involved in a slightly um, playfully fabricated situations. Is it one for people who are grieving? Well, I would think so. I, I, I was very struck by the book. I was very, very struck by it, and uh, particularly, uh, mm. certainly, I wouldn't have said that I was one of um, Julian Barnes's most devoted readers. I'm not, but I was very taken with that book mm. because, I mean, there's a nakedness about it, the vulnerability, the way he felt that he just wanted to scream out his loss, um, and people decide when you've done enough grieving, when it's time for you to move on. Well, I mean, nobody has the right to say that about anybody's grief. Nobody can arbitrate for anybody else, and Julian Barnes certainly, in a way, he. There's as much anger in his little book, his beautiful little book, as there is in Greg Bellows. Eileen, you've given us a, a wonderful range of books there, and I think it's just a, a flavour of the of the books that you you feature in the book section of Weekend. And um, I thank you very much for sharing these recommendations with us and your insights. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.